The following podcast is an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Rochester, Minnesota. You can find out more by visiting harvestrochester.org. I want to start a series off today called Vertical Church. Vertical Church, right? You're like, well, vertical, what's, what, instead of what? Well, horizontal, right? So many of our churches today are horizontal. We, we've decided, well, what would bring more people? Let's talk about that. What would, what would uh, tickle ears? Let's talk about that. What would, what would get people to give more money? Let's talk about that. What, what would, you know, we just, we are all going the wrong way that way. And we see it in churches. The church is in trouble. Did you know that? I mean, you're in church today. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news. You made a good decision. You're here. You're Bible in hand, ready to learn. Good job, right? But, but let's not be like head in the sand about it. Like that's not normal. True? That's not normal that people bring a Bible to church. That's not normal that they're expecting God to show up. The church is in trouble. I think a lot of people in our society are just going to church, just checking the box, just look a certain way. You get it? So let me, let me give you a couple stats. I mentioned the Vertical Church book. Uh, uh, Matt mentioned this. Uh, it, again, like not on sale because we don't sell anything really here, but uh, we, we just ask for a donation, right? It's not, we didn't really put it in the budget to buy these, but I said, Shauna, buy these, please, because everybody has to have one. Uh, how many of you guys were here three years ago when I preached uh, uh, Vertical Church? Okay, like 20 people. All right, we'll go with 20. All right, so the rest of you probably haven't read this book unless somebody, one of those 20, gave you their copy and said, hey, you need to read this, right? Which would have been a really awesome discipleship opportunity. But so I pray that you will go take it. I don't want it to take uh, your Bible reading time. Don't, please do not read it instead of the Bible. This is not the Bible. This is not inspired. It has a lot of Bible in it, which is great. All good books should have a lot of Bible in it, Right. But uh, you want to read this book. This is really what our church is all about, right? So uh, our founder, the founder of the Harvest Bible Chapel movement, Vertical Church movement, wrote a book called Vertical Church. And the reason he wrote it is as we were growing more and more churches, he wanted to make sure everybody was on the same page. This is why we created the church. This is what the church does. So please read it, okay? And you can get it at the worship table out front. Please, please go do that. You got it? All right. In there on page 130, he has a bunch of stats about how the church is in trouble. I just want to give you two. 6,000 churches will close their doors this year. 6,000 churches. We don't even have a church building. We can't even fathom closing the doors to a building we don't have. Right? And we're like, that is so stupid. So, but just let me tell you, it's not, it's not. People are doing it. People are walking away from all the assets that they gave, all the things that they gave to, uh, to God and to church. And they're like, yeah, let's close the door. Let's be done. Let's just give up. Let's go home. That breaks my heart. This breaks my heart even more because it's more individual. 35 Hundred, three thousand five hundred Americans are leaving the church every day. 
every day. I mean, that number is just staggering to me. I mean, I actually had to check it. I went to the back, was checking the reference, going, okay, is that for sure? Really? Really? 3,500 Americans are leaving the church every day. Why? They got offended. They didn't like what they heard. It was too hard. You know what? I want to say this. It wasn't about any of that. It was because the church forgot who they were. It stopped being vertical and it started being horizontal. And when it starts being horizontal, you can leave whenever you want because it doesn't matter. When Jesus stops going to church, you can leave your church, right? So it has to be vertical and we want to focus the next four weeks on a vertical church. What does it look like? What brings God's glory down? That's the question we're going to be answering. What brings God's glory down. You're like, whoa, God's glory down? Like, okay, turn in your Bible to Isaiah 64. I'll just tell you where the series is coming from. Isaiah 64, verse 1. It should be on the screen as well, I think. Um, Isaiah 64, 1. Let me read it for you. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would quake at your presence right? Now, that word, oh, you're like, oh, oh, big deal, <laughs> you know? Like, but oh, right, here is like, it's very passionate. It's very vibrant. It's with all the zeal. Oh! You're like, I hate it when you yell. It hurts my ears. Yeah, well, you know what? We're passionate about Jesus Christ, and when his word says, oh, we're going to say it too, okay? So I'm not trying to offend you with anything I say or do, but I'm trying to say, like, we want to be all about what God's all about. And Isaiah is saying here, God, we need you. Oh, we need you. Oh, that you would rend the heavens, okay? Oh, that you would rend the heavens. What, what, what does he mean, rend the heavens? Let me just sum it up for you quickly because I'm not really preaching this passage. I'm going to get on to what I'm preaching. Rend the heavens means remove the barrier. There's something between you and me. Do you think that something between you and him is dealing with him or is dealing with you? Is God like somehow like sitting on his hands, not ready to work in your life? Like, yeah, you're in a timeout. I'm not sure I want to work with you. That is not true. Whoever's told you that, anybody that's ever told you that, they're lying. God is supremely ready to work in your life right now. Like all you need do is turn to him and say work and he will work. Oh, that you would remove the barriers in my life. The things in my life that are hindering you from coming down, right? Come down. Just think about that. Come down. Like come down and be with us. Jesus did come down, right? The glory did come down. Thank you for that. But we don't want to just stop with the glory did come down. We want the glory to show up every day in our lives, and especially when we gather the living stones every week in our church. We want the glory to come down. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And when you think you think like God, then you don't need him to come down. Because you're like, oh, I know what he says. I read the Bible. I read the book cover to cover. I'm good. I'm just biding my time now till heaven. Really? Then you've put God on the same shelf as you. And that's a very horizontal relationship now, isn't it? It's not vertical at all. 
No, we want a vertical relationship. I want to serve a God who's much bigger than me. And so he says in the next phrase that the mountains might quake at your presence. Now just think about a mountain. You ever been to a mountain? I'm not sure I've ever actually been to a mountain. I've been to a few hills. I did see Mount Rushmore. Is that a mountain? I don't know. That's pretty small, honestly, honestly. I've been to the Black Hills. That's as big a mountain as I've seen. I've been on the Appalachian Trail. Eh, you know, there's bigger mountains than that. But have you ever really been by a bona fide mountain and stood by it next to it? What is it? It's huge. And what do you feel? And it doesn't matter if you're 6'10", 600 pounds. You're going to uh, feel puny in that moment. Right? Do you have any mountains in your life? Feel puny? in regards to anything that you're facing right now? That's what he's talking about. There's mountains in our life. There's things in our life that we can't possibly add up to. We look at it and I'm like, Whoa! how do I do this? How am I going to do this? I can't do this. I mean, I'll just pull one out. I watched my kids this last week with if she was on a mission trip, I'm like, how do I do this? <laughs> Thankfully, tons of you helped me. Thank you. But it was still really hard. It's a mountain. But those mountains quake. At what? At your presence. God, when you come down, when the glory is here, the mountains, the things in my life that I can't possibly even fathom conquering feel small. They feel small, feel tiny. You came to church today to see the glory so that you would know for sure that when you go out there, when you leave these doors, that every problem you face, no matter what circumstance you have, it is tiny because you have God and he's going with you. Oh, that the, rend the heavens, God, and come down that the mountains would quake at your presence. That's what this series is about. All right? So now I preach. Okay? The first thing we want to talk about is unashamed adoration. All right? Unashamed adoration. You're going to turn your Bible to John chapter 4. Okay? Turn your Bible to John chapter 4. It's the fourth gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 4. And uh, let me ask you this. Why are you here today? Why are you here? Why did you come? Right? Why did you come? Was it this horizontal thing? You're getting checked on that if it is, sorry. <laughs> is it this horizontal thing or is this vertical thing? Let me remind you of why we come to church. We come to church to meet with God. Not to find community with others. That will come when we meet with God. Right? Not to check a box. I guess that box gets checked if you come to meet with God. <laughs> if, if, if that matters. We come to meet with God, to sense his presence, to experience his power, to see his glory, all right? And when we come, we come with unashamed adoration. Unashamed adoration. Unashamed adoration is what brings the glory down. Unashamed adoration. You're going to see it in this passage. Let me read it for you. Uh, let's start in verse uh, 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Where'd she come? Jacob's well, that was in verse six. 
And Jesus uh, asked her, uh, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to get food, but he was wearied. That was in verse six as well. Jesus was wearied by the journey. Aren't you glad you serve a God, a savior who came and he was a man and he felt things just like you do? Maybe you came in here and you're like, I'm so tired, dude. I don't know how I'm going to stay away from wake for your message. Like you better yell more. Like, like it's going to be hard, man. I am tired. And maybe it's not physical. Maybe it's spiritual. Maybe you came in here and you're just like, I'm so weary spiritually. I have tried and tried and tried and tried, tried to hear from the Lord this week. I have been on my knees. I have called out to him, but I'm so weary. It's like I'm carrying something. I need to drop it, right? Well, Jesus came to the well. He's sitting on the well and the woman comes. If you could just picture this, right? Jesus sitting at the well and, and the woman comes. And she comes with her pitcher and she's going to like put it down in the well and, and get it out. Just, just picture that. Just get that picture. Visualize it. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, a man, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, just one quick thing on that. Samaritans were called half-breeds by Jews, right? Now, I would just say this, not a half-breed. Just, they had left the faith, right? They had left what God said with keeping marriage inside of faith, right? Not race, but faith, right? And they had left that. They had married people from other faiths, right? So the, the Bible never speaks against interracial marriage. I want you, that to be clear. Like, I'm not sure that's always clear in the church. I think we kind of get weird on that. Bible never speaks out against, against interracial marriage. It always speaks out against, it is wrong to interfaith marriage, right? Interfaith marriage will kill you. If you're in a marriage like that, you understand you know, it's such a heavy weight because you're like, they don't believe what I believe. We don't raise our kids the way. I mean, I don't even, we're not on the same page. It's different, right? It's different. Just, just so that's what the Samaritan thing is. Jews like hated them because they left. They couldn't pr prove who they were. They didn't have faith in God like we do. And uh, it was just a big tension. Matter of fact, the Pharisees called Jesus a Samaritan when they wanted to ridicule him. So that would give you an idea of what it's like. All right. Jesus answered, verse 10. See it there? Do you see it? All right, good. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, I circled that, the gift of God. I mean, if you knew coming in here, the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, <laughs> just, just, just listen up. You have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. I know I've put my thing to uh, the, the, the picture down a few times. Where do you get this living water? And then she kind of gets sassy even more here in verse 12. Are you greater than my father, Jacob? He gave us the well and he drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. It's almost like you're under the livestock, bro. It's like everybody else drank from this. You can't get a drink. It's like pretty slight. Jesus said to her, quit comparing me to everybody else. No, no, no. Did, did Snyder remark back? Did he get sassy back? Jesus loves people, man. He's like, he, he's going to answer her in spirit and in truth. 
everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Is that true? You ever taken a drink? You ever gotten thirsty again? Everybody that drinks from well water, everybody that drinks from Rochester city water, you're going to be thirsty again. Physically, you're going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. Oh, I want that water. The water that I will give him will become in him. It's in, it's in, it's in. Circle that word, in him. A spring of water welling up to eternal life. It's never going to stop bubbling up. It's in you. It's not outside. It's in you. She's talking about physical. He's talking about spiritual, clearly. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, please, so that I will not have to be thirsty anymore and and not have to come here to draw water. So she's on the physical plan. Give me this water so I don't have to come back here. It's going to walk from the city. And I have to put this thing down, and it's like heavy getting it back up. And I come at a different time when it's only me anyway. I don't want to do this. Give me this water. I hope, I've been praying that you would be in that spirit today. Give me this water. Give it to me. Please, Lord, give it to me. All right, let me read the rest of the passage. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. It's true. The woman said to him, sir, in the understatement of the decade, (laughs) I perceive you're a prophet that you speak for God. There's something different about you. She says, she brings up fathers again. It's all about fathers to her. Father Jacob and our fathers, Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, all these, Joseph, worshiped on this mountain, Mark Gerizim, okay? But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship, in the temple. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour, that's the cross, the hour. Whenever you see the hour in John, it's the cross. Believe me, the cross is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour, the cross, is coming and is now here. Jesus is like, I'm here and I'm going to die. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit, Circle that. And in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And a bit of a punchline, the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He was called Christ, in other parentheses, so many of them, makes it hard to really get the story. When he comes, he will tell us all things. I think something softens in her there when she says that, because he has told her all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Do you notice anything in the passage? Those last 
five verses, six verses that I read? Is there a word that kind of sticks out to you? Go ahead, look at it again. Maybe something repeated. Spirit, truth. Maybe something repeated even more than those. Worship, right? Worship. Worship. Ten times. Worship. Ten times. Worship in four verses. Ten times in four verses. I'd say that's pretty uh, important. I'd say God's trying to make a point. So let's just make that point. Unashamed adoration. Unashamed adoration. When we worship the Lord, the glory comes down. So, but as, as I've been studying this week, uh, here's what I realized, okay? So here's the, here's the message, here's the points. Here's what I realized. Number one, as I've been studying this, I realized this, I have a worship problem. I have a worship problem. And it's called idolatry. So I'm studying this passage. It's all about worship. I'm trying to dig out unashamed worship. I'm trying to say, I want to I preach to the church unashamed worship. I want to take them farther in their worship than they've ever been before, right? And, and as I'm doing that, I'm like, hold on. I have a problem. I have a worship problem. I do. And l- let me just represent you all, church. We do, right? You might just say, I, I do, right? It's you. It's me. We all do. I have a worship problem. And it's called idolatry. You're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Idolatry? I mean, like, worship problem, yes, but idolatry, no, right? Let me, let me put it to you this way. Here's a couple definitions, right? And this will make it pretty clear. Let me define worship. In the Old Testament, there's many words for worship. Praise, adore, uh, give thanks. Uh, but the word really means to fall, to prostrate oneself, I want you to think Moses in burning bush, right? Get low, get as low as you can, as quick as you can, okay? That's worship. And then in the New Testament, there's two words. I won't humor you with the Greek, but uh, one means to kiss towards or to kiss the hand, adore, adoration. That's where we get that word. That's the word here in the text, adoration. And the other is to give or pay homage to. Now, I have kids and uh, I have a three and a half year old Quinn who is Down syndrome. And uh, one of the things that he does, right, is we're Skyping with mom or whatever, is he, he will adore her, right? Well, how does he does that? He blows kisses, right? So he's like, all right? And that's, that's worship. He's worshiping his mom, right? He's like, I love you, mom. And, and, and that's worship, right? Brett, come here a second. So, so here, so. So if I, if I get down on my knees and I'm like, and I, I, oh, I love you, Brent. Oh, I love you, Brent. Right? Like, does that make anybody uncomfortable? Is that making you uncomfortable? All right. Great. Have a seat then. All right. You're done. All right. Like us worshiping anything other than Jesus, falling down, kissing the hand, us doing that ought to bother you. You ought to be uncomfortable with that. That's idolatry. That's the point. Let me read it to you from the the book that I'm asking you to read. It's such a great book. But here, worship or adoration, this is on page 167. Worship or adoration is the most powerful expression a human being is capable of. When worship is directed to an unworthy person or object, we call it idolatry. Right? You got that? 
The first of God's command, top 10 commands forbids idolatry with the words, you shall have no other gods before me. And Jesus reiterated that reality circling, love the Lord your God as the greatest commandment. The highest and most powerful human experience is to express our love to the most worthy object of that affection. In the elevation of Christ's worthiness, our greatest joy is discovered. The greatest sin then is directing the adoration elsewhere, not only because it insults God, but it also insulates our hearts from the delights we were created to revel in. To fail at worship is the greatest failure a human is capable of with the gravest and most immediate of consequences. I don't want to be an idolater. I just don't want to be an idolater. But, but I am, you know? But I am because there's things that I take and I hold on to and I put in front of God. Maybe a simple definition of uh, worship is ascribe worth. That is worth more and I am worth less. Jesus is worth more. That makes me worth less. John the Baptist said that, didn't he? Just look across the page, John 3.30. You might want to underline this. This is a really, really important short verse in the Bible that you could memorize really quick and meditate on well this week. He must increase, John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease. That's worship. That's ascribing worth. You have to increase, God, and I and all I want need to decrease right now. That's unashamed worship. When our worship is misplaced, it's idolatry. So I surveyed 100 people, right? Family feud style. And uh, top five answers are on the board, okay? Here it is, right? Top five answers for what you say. What we worship instead of God. Top five answers for what Christians worship instead of God. Here's the number five answer. Family. Family. Isn't it true? Put our wife, or the fact that I want to have a wife, all you singles, in front of God. The fact that I want to have a husband in front of God. Or kids. Man, I want to be sensitive here. I mean, <laughs> infertility is a, is a real thing. Right? But if you put your heart on that child above Jesus Christ, we got to have a kid, we got to have a kid, we got to have a kid, right? Th then that is worshiping the kid over the creator. I don't want, don't worship the kid over the creator. God will remove the kid. Trust me. Look at Isaac in the Bible, right? God's like, hey, take him and sacrifice him. You've gotten a little sideways here. And Abraham did it. That's why Isaac was saved. Sometimes we put family. Man, so, sometimes family is why we come to church. We're like, hey, I just want to be a good family, so we're just going to come to church. And, you know, and that's great, but that's kind of misplaced. We come to church for God's glory, right? And then sometimes we miss church because our kids have basketball games and functions and all, or they just don't want to go. And so we're like, oh, I love my kids more than God. We're not going to go. Dads? Tell your kids we're going to church because that's where the glory is. That's where we're going to set ourselves. That's where we're going to get right. That's where it's going to start and we're going to keep it going all week. 
family. Okay, this fourth thing, my possessions or my stuff, right? The boat, the car, I had to have it. I'm polishing it. It's so good. Whatever else it is, right? I mean, there's so many other possessions, right? The house, whatever it is, it's not wrong to have things. It's wrong when things have you, when it has your heart, when it's captured you, when you have to pay the payments and you have to miss church to work or you have to miss church to use that thing because you prize it and you love it so much, then it's between you and God and it's an idol. It's idolatry. This third thing, my heroes, actual people, right? Watching the Olympics a little bit, all these Michael Phelps and carrying the flag and blah, 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 blah. It's like, you know, we don't bow down to athletes. We don't bow down to actresses and actors. We don't worship them. You're like, yeah, I would never do what you did to Brent. Man, you're so screwed up. But you have to watch that TV show every week or, you know, or somebody's going to get hit. I mean, if that's not worship, I don't know what it is, right? Some of you are all tied up into politics right now. Hey, I think you should be aware of politics and I think you should vote Jesus, right? I think you should vote whatever Christ wants, okay? That's great, awesome. Use principles, use wisdom, use the Bible, vote however God wants, all right? That's what I think. But my hope is not in a presidential candidate or anybody else running for office. I pray for them, all right? But they are not some kind of hero or idol that I'm putting my faith in to save America. God, rend the heavens and come down that our nation might tremble and quake at your presence and fear you and be a nation under God again. That's what we're talking about. Right, this second thing, work, this one hits me so hard. Is your identity in your career? What my boss thinks, if I can get the next raise? Because if that's what you're pursuing, it's good to have a job, amen? When you don't have a job, that stinks. But when you do have a job, you're like, yes, and I want to work hard as unto the Lord. I want to be known as the best worker in my company because then people will ask me why and I'll be able to tell them, Jesus, I work is unto the Lord, not unto man. But I got to tell you this, even in ministry, isn't it true? We can get our eyes off Jesus Christ, can't we, Brent? We can get our eyes onto the ministry. And when you do that, you're upside down in a ditch. This thing is all about Jesus Christ. No idols. I'm not putting you in front of Jesus Christ. And I'm not putting this church in front of Jesus Christ. Pray for your pastor that that would be true. That the ministry would not be the thing, but that the relationship with Jesus Christ would be the only thing. And I pray for that for you in your work. That you would have something in you that brings work to the church and brings work outside the church because we are the church all the time. This last thing, myself, what I want, what will make me happy, pleasure. Again, I ask, why did you come to church today? Because I hope it pleases me, and if it doesn't, I'm going to look for a new church. 
See, even church can be about you. Even going to church can be about you. We're not here for you. It's not about you. And it's not about me. We're not here for me. We are here for Jesus Christ. I want to be clear. We are here for Jesus Christ. Every one of us is here to see Jesus Christ do something amazing in our lives. Point to the one we're here for. Come on, point to the, we're here for him. That's why we came. But I got to tell you, I got a worship problem. And it's called idolatry. So I got to ask, can you take an inventory? What idols, what idols are you putting between you and God or above God? Is it my family? Is it my career? Is it my pleasure, my own pleasure? There's an answer for this, and it's uh, the next point. Look at it. I need a worship breakthrough. Truly, I need a worship breakthrough. Can you, can you just point to one thing that you idolize? Can you just point to one? Just point to one. You got it? All right. I need then a worship breakthrough. And it comes through repentance. She says in verse 15, Sir, give me this water. She's still in the physical realm, still thinking too small. And, and, and then she says in verse 17, I have no husband. True but not the spirit of your life, right? That is true in the moment, but it's not the spirit of your life. If I wrote a story, that wouldn't be true. So even though you're here in church, that's true. Hey, I'm here, Steve. Isn't that a worship breakthrough? I'm here, I came, I showed up, good job, well done. But I think we need a deeper breakthrough than that, right? Because that's true, I'm here. But are you here physically? Are you here in spirit? That's really what I'm asking. Are you here physically or are you here in spirit? As in, are you all in here? Is the church the thing Jesus Christ died for? And are you going to use every ounce of your energy to build it? To build his kingdom? See, she was a little sideways. She was like, yeah, I'm, I'm good and you know, it's no big deal, and I don't have any idols, and, and then he's like, hey, 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 you have five husbands, and the one that you have, the relationship you're in, is not your husband. You're living in sin. I mean, he was just clear with her, right? But not in a harsh way, just in a loving way. And then he says, what you're saying is true. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> he agrees with her. Yep, you're right. By the letter of the law, yeah, you don't have a husband. But by the heart of the law, by the spirit of the law, you are a mess. You are a flat out mess. And I read that this week and I was like, you're right, God. I'm a mess. I'm a flat out mess. Outside, look great. It's awesome. And inside, you know when I stand there and worship, you know what I'm thinking about most Sundays? Hope I'm not offending anybody. I wonder what people think right now. Oh my goodness. I want to go get a water bottle, but I shouldn't leave because what will people think? So I sent my son. Now what do you think of him? 
you know? I mean, that thought shouldn't even be on my mind, and it shouldn't be in yours. People ask why we turn off the lights. So you won't think about anything but you and God. That's why we turn off the lights. So that you can go like this and go, you and me, God, what's up? So you can think in here, spirit and in truth worship. That's what we're going for. It's not just external, so everybody can see it. It's internal. It's spirit. It's the part people can't see and aren't aware of yet. So let me just say this. This is really important. I wrote it down. She has this small breakthrough, and she says, you're a prophet. Woohoo! You speak for God, and you told me some things. And you're right, even though you've agreed I'm true. Small breakthrough. But she says, I have a question, and I have a question about worship. Here's the question. You worship, uh, or we worship here on this mountain, but you worship in Jerusalem. Who's right? Tell me who's right. I'm going to answer that question with this statement right here. It's not where you worship, and it's not what you look like when you're worshiping. Okay, I want to say this again. It's not where you worship, and it's not what you look like when you worship. It's about who you worship and how you worship him. Okay? It's about who you worship, who you're worshiping. And it's about how you're worshiping. That's the main thing. So she gets to the end of this. Verse 24, he says, God is spirit. It's inside and outside, lady. It's inside and outside, church. It's harder work to go inside, isn't it? It's easier just to fix the outside, just to put some paint on it, just to dress it up a bit. But I don't want to be a whitewashed tomb. I want to be inside and out, a worshiper of Jesus Christ. So you have to do the hard work in spirit and in truth. It says in verse 24, look at it. This is a really key verse for our church. You should have it memorized. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. We worship in truth, yes, that's true. But we worship in spirit. And nobody can really tell that. The evidence of that comes out much later. But you know, but you know. Here's the aha moment for this lady and I'm praying you'll have it today. Maybe you know Jesus, maybe you don't. Maybe you came in here like, man, I want to worship him now. Give me the water, Steve. Give me the water, right? Well, here it is. Here's the aha moment for the lady. Verse 25. The woman said to him, I think she's still kind of like slinging stuff, right? I know, I know, yeah, I know. I know the Messiah's coming. And then he gives you that parenthesis. He's the Christ, right? And when he comes, I think something changes in her right there. And when he comes, he's going to tell us everything. And she's like, hold on. You told me everything. And she has this aha moment. I think she drops this picture at the same time the disciples are coming. And she runs back to town. And look at the statement right underneath there. Verse 29. She goes to the town and she comes to the people and she says, come see a man, that's the first thing, a Jew up there, who told me, that's the prophet part, all that ever did, that's the Messiah part. Can this be the Christ? 
Are we dealing with God? We are dealing with God. We are dealing with God. God has come down. God has paid your sin. God is willing and able to save you. Will you drop the idol? Will you repent? Will you turn from your sin, right, and embrace Jesus Christ as your Savior? God so loved the world, he gave his only son, right? But God demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's not about works, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith in Jesus. Not of works, lest any man's like, look at me. Look what I did. Look at me at church. Look what I'm doing for God. No, no, no. Not of works, lest any man should boast. This is a gift. Remember at the top, I had you circled the gift of God. If you even know the gift of God, that you get to be in a healthy, vibrant church. But you need to be a part of that healthy, vibrant church. You need to be healthy and vibrant in that church, right? But I'm just saying, I'm not going to put that on you without dealing with it inside. What are the idols of the church? What are the idols of your heart? Uprooting those, repenting of those, and then worshiping in spirit and truth is the thing that's going to help the church. Is the thing that's going to help this church be more vertical than it's ever been before. Is the thing that's going to make us unashamed in our worship. You're not going to come in here and go, I'm kind of worshiping. You're going to be like, I'm worshiping. Because you wouldn't believe what God's done in my life. You'll be all in, right? Whether it's high energy or whether it's just soft, I don't care. But is it from the heart and is it all in? That's what I care about. That's what we're going for. So let me give you this last point and we'll be done. Now I worship completely, pointing others to Christ. I hope you see that in me today. I hope I got to point three this week as I was studying the word. I was like, God, just give me to point three. Now I worship you completely, inside, outside, upside down. I'm ready. Let's go. And when you do that, when you're like that, what happens? You point people to Jesus Christ. They're like, why are you a whack? Like, you are crazy. And they're like, dude, what's going on? You're like, Jesus. It's not me, it's him. And that's contagious. That brings people to the fire and then the fire will do it. Look at verse uh, 39. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his word. You know, people are going to believe not because of your word, because of this word, but they got to get a glimpse so they can come read it. And then when they read it, they're going to believe because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this indeed is the savior of the world. Do you know? I ask you church, do you know that Jesus Christ is the savior of the world? If you know that, then stand up. Let's worship him. All right? Come on now. If you know that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, then let's worship him as such, like he's the Savior of the world. All right? Let's pray. God, our Father, we love you. We love you. We worship you. It's your son, Jesus Christ, who is exalted in this place. He is high and lifted up. We came to church today for other reasons, God, but we're not going to leave with those reasons in mind. We are now worshiping you completely inside and out, doing the work of repentance so that we can be your people and yours alone. We are not gonna leave here, God. People are gonna get on their face. 
People are going to repent. People are going to change. People are going to uproot idols. And we are not going to leave here, God, without getting vertical with you, without knowing that you are God and you are the only one to be worshiped. And so we worship you unashamed. We give you all the praise, all the glory, all the adoration because you came, Jesus, and you rose, Jesus, and you live, Jesus, forever. You are the Savior of the world. We worship you. Amen.